Uh, my discipline technically is not pastoring, although I love it. I was trained as a, a church historian, and I got to take a course from one of the great living church historians a number of years ago named Andrew Walls, who tends to get uh, cited a lot, actually, I've found. Um, he's this kind of short little Scotsman who's got to be in his 90s by now, delightful and just a brain. Um, and he, he's written some fascinating and really interesting articles. But So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to highlight one for you that's one of my favorites this morning and just give you the, the basic overarching theme of the beginning of it. And so I'm going to get a little church nerdy on you right now, uh, church history nerdy, but you can bear with me, I think, because he tells this story. Imagine, hypothetically, if you have an intergalactic space traveler. Yes, he's a scholar. He says, imagine if you have an intergalactic space traveler coming down uh, to Earth and is interested in the religions of humanity. And he particularly takes an interest in Christianity. And so he comes and visits Jerusalem in the year 37 AD. And when he's there, um, he sees people who are Jewish, but he sees sort of this sect of Judaism. It looks a little different. It's got some of the same practices, but they highlight this guy, Jesus, as the Messiah. And they're worshiping him as part of the practice. And he makes some notes about the differences, and he goes back to his home planet comes back about 300 years later, about the year 325 A.D., uh, to Nicaea, where there is a totally different group of people sitting around. They don't look a bit Jewish at all. In fact, they're all Greek-thinking, uh, Greek-speaking people meeting together in a council to discuss things like, was Jesus of the same substance or of similar substance as God, and putting together this uh, formation of this creed that's going on. And he makes notes, same Jesus, different complexion of people, goes back to his home planet. Comes back another 300 plus years later, uh, and he comes to Ireland, and he sees a bunch of people praying to this Jesus, standing neck deep in ice cold rivers. And he thinks, okay, this is the same Jesus they're praying to, but it's totally different complexion of people and practice that's going on. Two more, he goes goes away, comes back to 1840s, to London, to Exeter Hall, and he sees a bunch of well-dressed British men and women standing around talking about taking and evangelizing the rest of the world, particularly Africa, uh, through, the, through the trade routes that go there uh, and the British colonial empire. And then he comes back one more time in 1980 to Lagos, Nigeria, and he sees uh, men and women dressed completely in white, dancing on their way to church, ecstatic and excited, singing about this same Jesus. In every single one of those cases, they're talking about Jesus, they're worshiping Jesus, they're praying to Jesus. It's the same faith, but very different cultural complexions that it's fallen into, isn't it? It's, it's a very fascinating thing to think about. And so we've been talking over these past few weeks, and we're going to take a break and come back, because I've got some kind of next steps for you at the end of this series, and then I want to come back in January to more of this Ephesians discussion on cultural intelligence. We've been talking about this, and noting that we can, we can worship the same Jesus and have the same faith, and of course there are standards that come with that, right? We hold a very Trinitarian faith, and Jesus, and Jesus Christ is the only way. So, and the Bible is true. That's, that's all the, the level ground, the foundation we're on when we're even talking about this. So... We haven't given up that by saying it's different complexion, the same faith. But when it comes to cultural intelligence, we've been talking about this idea, and this is used in the business world a lot, that you can have people that come from different backgrounds working in the same situation, and we need to be able to understand their motivation and the, those cultural differences in order to be able to kind of find unity. 
Now, it works in a business scenario, uh, or it can if you're really aware of those things. We're talking about cultural intelligence within the church specifically and what that looks like. And so where we've been so far as we've discussed this, and we're, we're in Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians 3 in just a moment here. If you're going to find it this morning, I encourage you to do that. Where we've been is that we, we made the point a couple points the first week uh, that we did this. Uh, in Ephesians 1 is where we were. And we said that God's glory is revealed when his people gather in worship. So that, that by the power of the Spirit, when you and I are gathered and we talk to one another and we sing to God and we, and we do these things and we're hospitable, we're actually revealing the glory of God at work in us through the Spirit. Or we should be. That's what should be happening. We also pointed out, and Paul puts this at the very end of Ephesians 1, that the fullness of Christ is the church. And because of that, not because we're so good, but because we're redeemed, the church ends up being then the hope of the world. Because it's the power of the Spirit working through us. We are that glory of God revealed, and we should be taking it out where we go and bringing others into God's presence, aiming them back in a Godward direction so that they can know the salvation we have. So that's why the church is the hope of the world. Not because we're super good, because you and I aren't. It's because we're redeemed, and the Spirit is at work within us. That's why the church is the hope of the world. And then last week, then, we talked about this idea of peace. Shalom is what I mean. God's best, not simply the absence of conflict. That peace among God's people breaks the walls of division. So now we've gone through Ephesians 1 and 2 and gotten to those three points. And last week we had a... By the way, I've had some great feedback on this series. It's been really fun. So if you have thoughts, bring it to me. And all the feedback has been with... uh, uh, Grace and love, which is how we do it here, right? You can be good, critical, but grace and love. Peace among God's people breaks down the wall of divisions. We had a video last week that was shown, and it kind of looked like uh, in that video that it almost made a wall of division by disparaging one group of people, the 29-year-old pastor in skinny jeans uh, with a book deal uh, at the expense of somebody who's old and been praying for 40, 50 years on their knees. The, the point of the video wasn't to push one aside, but to say sometimes we can get really excited about a fad or something that's new and different and, and miss a whole other segment of, of the church. Or we can, it can be reversed, right? Uh, Paul says, don't let anybody look down on you because you are young. Frankly, I think we're doing a fair job of that. But culturally speaking, if I may point out, one thing that comes into the church sometimes is that we tend to take people when they get to a certain age and we tend to shelve their abilities and gifts and their worship style and everything else that goes along with it, right? And, and that's not okay either, right? It, we, we could, in fact, uh, uh, end up saying, don't let anybody look down on you because you are old. If We need to make sure we live out both ends of that spectrum. And, and I'll make a point about this because this gets us into this world that we're in today. Um, I have a friend who, who pointed out that at a certain age, just to take men for an example, he says at a certain age, men, as they get older, they transition from being handsome to being cute. Have you ever noticed uh, they, they, they make this crossover that we don't describe them as handsome but cute anymore? Um, and, and this can happen where people age out, unfortunately, in the church. At least that's how it's been shown, that they age out. Their gifts aren't useful, they think, anymore. No, they are. They're, in fact, quite useful. One thing, and I'll, I'll say this, that I've experienced. I, I talk to people a lot who say, well, what do I have to offer at this age? Well, more than you might think. For the grandma class out there, you have the most to offer. Can I just point this out? If you're in the grandma category, the one thing that is an unrealized potential that you have, authority. You have that, that a lot of people don't have. We don't just, we have different gifts and abilities. We don't want to overlook those just because we're old or young. 
Otherwise, we put up a wall of division, don't we? We don't want to do that within the church. Now, we want to transition, though, from, from where we're at with you know, peace among God's people, breaking down the walls of division. I want to talk a little bit more about transitioning from being a holy person to being a holy people, or being, becoming a whole person to being a holy people. Um, I've taken uh, trips to Mexico a number of times with this church and when I was on staff with uh, Covenant Bible College many years ago. And one of the trips with Covenant Bible College, when I was on staff, we had college students working on building houses in very poor areas of Mexico. I remember one day we're standing there working on the foundation of a house and there's uh, uh, some men over in the distance that have a truck stuck in the sand. We have a couple of our college students who are very enthusiastic. We know how to solve this problem. They're doing it wrong. They're doing it wrong over there. We can solve the problem. And one of our staff said, can you just wait for a moment? They've only been at it for like 30 seconds. Give them another minute. Two other men came. They're out of the sand in another 30 seconds. Totally different way than these guys had proposed, which was the only right way that they had proposed, that they figured out how to get out of the sand. Sometimes there's more than one way to do it is what we learn. And sometimes uh, uh, we can kind of think that we have the full equation when we only have half of it. At the foot of the cross, it turns out that we're all equal. We are. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. And as we talk today about Ephesians, Ephesians is written to the people who have said yes to Jesus. And that's largely who this is addressed to today. So if you're in the category of you never really said yes to Jesus, this will be relevant still. But today's a good day to, to enter in. If, if It's not just about our congregation. It's about the church. Anybody who said yes to Jesus is a part of that. That's who we're talking to today. But we want to make sure that within that church, it's got a local complexion this way, that we don't miss what God has given us because we're only seeing half the picture. And our way is the only way and the right way. And so what I want to point out today is that through God's Holy Spirit, we are transformed from becoming whole persons, individuals who are saved, to becoming a holy people, the saints. If you said yes to Jesus, you're a saint. In fact, if you said yes to Jesus, maybe just say it to yourself. I'm a saint. Try it. I'm a saint. Not many saints out there this morning. <laughs> we'll get better at it. question becomes, how does this take place and what does it mean? When we look at this, through God's Holy Spirit, we're transformed from becoming whole people, whole persons to becoming his holy people. Let's look at Ephesians 3. Let's go to verse 14 and 15. Paul writes to the church. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. There's a word play going on in there that plays out even in the English. It's, uh, in the Greek, it's patera patria, father and family. We, we all derive uh, from one father as the family. And Paul begins, For this reason. What's the reason? If you look back at Ephesians 3, if you look back at Ephesians 2, it's unity between Jew and Gentile is what he's talking about. It's becoming one church, one people. That's what Paul wants. And we heard in the scripture reading this morning, he talks about the, the fullness of the mystery of Christ is now revealed within the church. And you can look back at Ephesians 3, 6, and it says what the mystery is. Paul says this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. Members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. That is now Jew and Gentile who were once separated, who once didn't see the world the same at all. 
They haven't lost those distinctions, but they can now both approach God together as a new people. So you see what this has to do with unity right there. They're coming together as one. Paul says, for that reason, for unity among the body. That's why I kneel. But he also says, I kneel before the Father. Paul prays for that purpose. Uh, Warren Wearsby, in commenting on this verse, I think he says it well. He says, it is through prayer that we lay hold of God's riches that enable us to behave like Christians and battle like Christians. Whether we actually bow our knees is not the important thing, but we bow our hearts and wills to the Lord and ask him for what we need or for what we need is the vital matter. Paul's praying for the reality of unity and for full access to the Father for both Jew and Gentile alike. And his posture, as Wearsby points out, is not the relevant thing. In fact, standing is actually the more appropriate or typical posture we see in Scripture rather than kneeling. Um, and laying down even sometimes is, is different. But Paul kneels. He takes this position of humility or this posture of humility, but he postures his heart towards the one who unifies. That's what matters. His allegiance is to Jesus Christ, his Lord. He takes his marching orders from God, not the other way around. That's what he's doing. And so you look at that, and even though I know Paul's not our Savior, Paul's posing the question, we can at least begin with, do I desire unity even as much as Paul does? He kneels before the Father, praying that this is the case. He's written two and a half chapters already, expressing that this is what God has in mind, and he's praying for that. Does the posture of my heart reveal Jesus, that Jesus Christ rules me? Or am I fighting him for control? Paul kneels before the Father, saying, what you want is what I want. Is that what my heart posture is? Is that what your heart posture is this morning? And the thing is, when God's people take a posture of prayer, so as his people, the gathered together, they are unified in mission and in power together. Again, to use the words of Warren Wearsby, he points out that what Paul is moving us from is from enlightenment kind of the, the big ideal framework of what unity means to enablement. Now we've tapped into the power that makes it happen, not just you and me, but the Holy Spirit working in us. We have the mission, that's clear. But how about the power? When we've said yes to Jesus, when we posture ourselves towards unity, that's when the Holy Spirit begins to work. So Paul continues. Let's go to verses 16 and the first part of 17. Paul says, as he's kneeling, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches... He may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The you here is important to recognize. Uh, in, in Greek, the original, there's sort of multiple ways to express that second person pronoun. There's you, as in I'm pointing to somebody else. There's y'all, and there's all y'all. That's what I was taught in Greek, right? Those are the ways that it's referenced. This is a y'all. This is a church, you. This is all of us included in this. The Spirit will be working in you, y'all. That's what Paul says. Paul continues on uh, in verse 17. He says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that being rooted and established in love, he talks about love, that love is going to be our foundation 
for all of this. Not squishy love, not, not fake love that just accepts whatever you say and doesn't challenge you. This is love for the good of somebody else that might challenge them to become who Christ has called them to be. That's the kind of love. I pray that that love is at play in your life, Paul says. He continues on, and may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul says, at your disposal, if you're the church, you have power beyond belief. Ready for you to pull you together to fulfill the mission God's called you on. You have power beyond belief, and beyond that, you have results you can't even imagine. But when you take hold of that power, you're going to start to see that work out. When I was growing up, I remember in elementary school, they had the little buttons and the little ICANN factory buttons going on. I don't know if those are still around. Um, nowadays, we have sort of different ways of expressing that. Uh, I can, you can achieve anything if you put your mind to it. And we know that there's limits to that, right? I cannot walk out here on Lindcrest Drive and stop a city bus later today, even if I put my mind to it with my whole energy. It's not going to happen. Right? There are limits to some of that thinking. But we have to be especially aware of this power and, and what uh, the Holy Spirit can do in amongst us and make sure that mission and the Holy Spirit go together for us, especially as the church, because we run a danger. If we, if we get the idea of the mission and we have that solidly in us, that God has called us to, take the, to be unified and to take the good news out, those two things. Right, to, to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if we unintentionally in the process of that kind of say, okay, God, you've called us to the mission. Now we're going to go and do it. And we kind of push God off to the side, forgetting to, to call on God, forgetting to, to humbly posture ourselves towards God and go and do without the power of the Spirit. We've made a giant mistake. What can happen, and the, the danger that can befall us if we don't take both the mission and the power of the Holy Spirit together is that when we seek unity without the Holy Spirit, whether we intend to or not, when we seek unity without the Holy Spirit, we may end up building the Tower of Babel instead of the church. We may end up building something tall and beautiful, but we're actually competing for God's power rather than living into it. Those two things are crucial to go together, the mission and the power of the Holy Spirit together. That's what Paul's telling us. Unity you can do an awful lot without the Spirit. But if you want to achieve the things that are well beyond what you can imagine, that God is working on right now, it's got to be with the Holy Spirit. There's no other way. And so Paul calls us from being simply people becoming whole in Christ to people becoming the holy ones in Christ, his holy people. And we get to the idea of what then does this mean for us, if we've tapped into that power, if we can see what Paul is telling us in the book of Ephesians. And last week, that we're going to continue one thing we did last week. We talked about this thing called the five-fold test that's used in our denomination to help kind of guide ministry and make sure that we're focused in the right direction, but also utilize all that God's given us and don't quiet out voices that ought not be quieted out. And the fifth question in those five questions is the issue of purposeful narrative. And it asks these two questions. How do the stories of new backgrounds, when people come into our church, how do the stories of new backgrounds become incorporated into our overarching history? And how do all these streams flow together into one story moving forward? That is, how is our identity changed? Still rooted in Christ. How is it changed because people came and joined us and we said, we're glad you're here. Now be a part of the community. 
We're glad you're here with the gifts and abilities that you have. Let us understand what you've brought to us so we can become something more in Christ. So we can live by the power of the Spirit, bringing what you bring in and making it part of the story that we're living. Not just taking your energy, but using the gifts that God's given you. How do we re-identify then? How do we become something new because of what, we've brought, what God has brought us? And you can see that the church from the very beginning has had to contend with this issue. You go to Acts. You go to Acts chapter 6, the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews. And they're already having trouble making sure they incorporate and take care of everybody in the process and organizing for that. They, they do. They just, it was a question they hadn't considered yet. They have to work at it. You see that Peter, even though he's, he can dine with Gentiles, he doesn't. It's such a hard dividing wall for him to get past. You can see in Acts 15, they have to figure out what's essential and what's non-essential for this faith. And they write that glorious church letter to the Gentiles to make sure that they can be included in this but not give up on the essentials of the faith. Right? The church has been contending with this for a long time. I remember uh, listening to an Assyrian Orthodox priest talk about some of these divisions. This is 20 years ago. And he was still angry about uh, the Nestorian controversy of the 500s. Getting church nerdy on you again. Sorry. You can ask me about it later because I agree with him. But he was angry about the division of church, Eastern and Western church in 1054 and the schism of, of East and West excommunicating one another. And what's interesting is that that whole idea shows a division that keeps going through church history to today. Right? There's an Eastern and a Western church and we think differently. We're part of heirs of the Western church. We're bullet point people. We're people who want to know the answer why to every single question, even if it's wrong, right? We want to know the answer to every question. And we see that illustrated, by the way, in the Middle Ages. They started answering, asking every question you wouldn't have thought of, like what color is Mary's hair? It was red, apparently. So we, in the Western tradition, we want to know everything, even if we're wrong. In the Eastern tradition, they're much more open with, okay, there's a mystery about some of this. We need both sides of that. It's both sides of the same coin. We need both sides of that in our faith. And here's an example of, of, of where, we can get, uh, where we can put kind of two thinking ideas together. I, have, I know an acquaintance in Colorado in the Covenant who has worked very hard to try and get other Covenant churches to come along and go and create sister churches in Africa with their Covenant churches in Colorado. He says it costs about $3,000 to go, and he'll, anybody he runs into, he'll try and get them to go to Africa. He's tried numerous times with me, and it's just not worked. But, um, I mean, I'd love to go. It just hasn't worked. He says it costs about $3,000 to go. And he says some of these churches, you know, they need to build a new building or something like that. And he said if you ask any one of these African brothers or sisters, would you rather have us pool together all these resources and send you the airfare that it would cost for each of us to come so you can buy the materials and build the church, or would you rather have us spend it on airfare and fly over to you? He said every single one of them would say fly over to us. We can figure out how to build the church. That's not the issue. We want the relationship. We want the relationship with brothers and sisters. And, and our thinking, I, my first thought was, uh, uh, well, wait a minute. That seems like bad stewardship of the money, right? Shouldn't we use it for the... But, but is it? They, they have a different understanding of, of how to steward that money. They're looking at relationship. I'm looking at a building. The danger is we can only get half the story sometimes if we're not careful, if we're not listening. And so as we look at this fifth question, we could rephrase it because we need to see unity and seek unity through the power of the Holy Spirit. We could rephrase this to make sure we are and just ask, in what way are we living into the fullness? The fullness of God's good news. Not just half of it, but the fullness 
of God's good news. And so as we've been talking about this, one of the the primary uh, issues behind this whole series has really been that we live in a culture that's very divided on an awful lot of things right now. It doesn't seem to be getting better. It seems to be getting worse in so many cases. And as the church, yeah, we need to have an answer to that. But what I wanted to do as we started this was look at Ephesians and begin to assess within our own doors, how can we make sure we're unified and we're asking some of these questions and go out with those to illustrate what unity is supposed to look like in the one way it can really happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. We live in a, a divided world, a divided time. And, and I remember um, I went through the ordination process to be ordained as Reverend A. Evan Westberg a couple years ago. And I was at the, the final stage. I was in Chicago doing my interview with three people. They kind of divided out because they have so many usually. And it was pretty good representation of our denomination, I think, of, of both age and, and race. And we had... One person on the, the board who I admire greatly was probably one of our most respected uh, African-American colleagues um, in the ministerium of, of the pastors in the covenant. And we were talking about this issue in the interview, and he, he looked at me and he said, you know, I think in this divided time, the Evangelical Covenant Church, our denomination, has something unique and significant to contribute right now. There's something about, about how we operate that has something unique to contribute. And he looked at me and he said, and so do you. You have something to contribute in this time. And he challenged me. He said, when you go home, I'd already been working this angle, but, but I really took his challenge to heart greatly. He said, when you go home, don't just read dead 19th century European theologians. He said, read someone who doesn't, a Christian who doesn't look like you. Read some diverse thoughts so that you understand the fullness of God's work right now. And I've taken him to heart. And so I want to give you a couple next steps, but I want to make sure that I, I, I do one last thing before we do that and, and understand a couple broad theological themes that can be at play where we might only see half the picture. And we need to be able to see the full picture. Because one of those authors that I've been challenged by is the guy you saw in the video last week, Dr. Sung Chan Ra, who's at North Park Seminary. And, and he really focuses on two thoughts that I think are, are very helpful and enlightening for us that can move us to some next steps. So he talks about the, a theology of suffering and a theology of celebration, that those two belong together. But quite often in our church contexts, we hold on more closely to one or the other as our primary way of operating. And so he says there's a theology of celebration And these are both good, by the way. Don't hear one is bad and one is good. They're both good. He says there's a theology of celebration that we can have. In fact, I think we bring this. He says that largely erupts out of of a a spirit of affluence and abundance. When, When there's not scarcity, we have enough. We have what we need. And the focus in that category, how it works out is that our focus in in that spirituality is management and stewardship of God's resources. We've been given a lot. We need to steward those things well. He says, in that worldview, the world is considered good. Generally speaking, yeah, we can have bad times and bad things go on, but it's generally considered good. It's on the right track. It's moving in the right direction over by and large. And that theology continues to work well as long as we keep living into it. As long as we keep celebrating, it'll keep working out. Life is generally healthy and whole, and God is seen as a nurturer and caregiver. 
Right? This is all good. So I'm not setting you up for failure. This is all good. And the goal is to maintain the status quo because things are on that positive trajectory. It's a theology of the resurrection, he says, and we need it. But he says on the flip side of that, you have this theology of suffering. He says that really is born out of a world of scarcity and oppression. When that's your experience and that's what you have, you live more in that world of suffering. The focus is not on management and stewardship of God's abundance. It's on uh, salvation being delivered from and survival, making it through by the help of God. He says the world in that is not considered good so much as it's generally considered hostile or evil. It's, It's against you, not for you. Life is precarious. It needs a deliverer. And so God is seen in that world be much more as a warrior or a conqueror. Right? So we have nurture, caregiver, warrior, conqueror, all biblical, very biblical uh, thoughts. And so if the goal and the celebration is to maintain status quo, and that's a theology of resurrection, he says the goal here is fighting injustice. This is the theology of the cross. And we need both, don't we? I mean, we celebrate one at Good Friday and one at Easter. We need both. That Jesus Christ suffered and came into the difficulty that we experience to deliver us from it to a life of victory in Christ. We need both sides, but sometimes we can easily focus on one or the other and miss what's going on with our brothers and sisters in other parts uh, of, of our own community even, let alone our broader family as the people of God. And so through God's Holy Spirit, we're transformed from becoming whole persons to a holy people to understand the fullness of this God's good news for us, to live out the fullness of the gospel. And so as we do that, my my first challenge is that we have a a posture of humble prayer, that we pray for unity. That's a direct challenge. We should pray for unity among God's people here and among all of our churches in Lincoln uh, who preach the good news and follow Jesus Christ. We should pray that that happens and kneel before the Father. But some tangible things that we can do on the ground to make sure that we don't just not hear other voices of those who believe, who worship the same Jesus Christ, who hold the same faith we do, is to actually make sure that we hear those voices clearly. So I have, I'm, I've got a list. These are on the website, too. They're in your small group notes of some thoughts of how you can take one step today to make sure that you've begun to understand those who maybe see the faith different but hold the same faith. Some of these I put in practice myself. So one is really easy. You can have an extended conversation with somebody who you don't normally talk to. Uh, and it can be within our covenant group right here, it, within this church family. Have an extended conversation with somebody you don't normally talk to. Uh, this can be somebody who's older than you, somebody who's younger than you. It could be somebody who's nicer than you. It doesn't really matter what you pick. It can be any one of those things or more. But somebody who's probably got a little different background than you. That's what you want. And I'm not saying just go have coffee after the service. That's good. And snacks, it's rye bread today. Don't just go have those things um, and, and have a conversation. Actually schedule an appointment with somebody. Go out, have an hour, two hours, something like that. Go to somebody's house. Have them come to your house. Go out somewhere and, and get to know one another. And what it is that brought one another to faith. You'll hear different themes most likely. But you'll be able to encourage one another in those. The body will be changed because of that. We'll become a holier people through those experiences. Another thing you can do, these are all different sorts of ways to get at the same thing. And I'm going to use some specifically covenant resources that are available because I know those best and I think we've got something to offer. 
Uh, pray for missionaries out in the field, because I think when you do that, you begin to get the heart of a missionary, and you begin to look at the world around you to think about how somebody else needs to hear the good news in order to receive that good news. And so we have things like the, this is last year's, the Serve Globally prayer calendar of all the missionaries in the covenant. I, I really commend this to you to pray, to write to some of those missionaries, to understand how they're living out and living with cultural intelligence in their parts of the world, and encourage them in the faith. And you can actually add to it something like, this is huge, this is an investment, uh, Operation World, if you want to pray for a specific part of the world, if you also need uh, some weight training, you can come up here later. Um, these kinds of things will help you develop the heart of a missionary and, and pray and begin to think about how the gospel is received in another part of the world. Um, and it might help you here, too, to, to broaden how you understand how to, how to be the fullness of Christ. Another idea is uh, to visit the Covenant website and look at our Covenant resolutions, which are usually, they're, they're sort of where we've taken a stand as the Covenant and voted on these things that represent kind of the middle path of what we believe. But there are some things on there, uh, like a resolution on race or immigration, compassion, mercy, and justice, disability, that, that can bring, I think, a fullness of some of those issues to your mind so that you understand the biblical context and then how those are worked out in the world and how we as a people can respond. I think those are very helpful, and they're all available online. Again, the link is in your, your small group notes or on the website. You can read the Covenant magazine. Anybody, uh, how many people subscribe to this? Anybody? We've got a few out there. This is, I think this is the church. No, this is my copy. The church has this magazine as well. Um, it's very good, and it also brings out a pretty wide variety of different understandings of, of how the faith works out across our country um, in different ethnic groups and, and pockets of our country. You can go to a denominational meeting. Uh, this is not just a broadcast for the covenant, by the way. These are all things that I think will work well to expand us into understanding the fullness of the good news as expressed in the covenant particularly. But go to a denominational meeting. We have some people that have gone and have found it incredibly rich because we're part of a denomination that is over 30% among populations of color or intentionally multi-ethnic. It's a cool experience to worship together. And you do with those experiences and events, whether it's local or it's the national. One thing I've taken up the challenge of is listening to music that uh, I wouldn't have written, uh, that, and Christian music particularly. So I'm, I, we have a steady diet of gospel music going on at our house, among other things. And I, my wife got me into uh, Christian hip-hop, which I like an awful lot. Maybe those aren't your areas. But you can do something like that where you can, uh, gospel especially might get to something that for a lot of us is a different side of the coin. Um, you can find news articles, books, podcasts, any of those things that will, will help you kind of understand a Christian perspective of, of Christians that maybe don't look like us. And one way, again, the Covenant uh, Newswire, um, you can find on the website, actually has a great thing on Five for Friday that they deliver on Fridays, which uh, gives things that Covenanters are reading around the country, which often has a pretty good breadth of interesting uh, uh, things to kind of grasp onto if you're looking for a way to do that. And finally, this will relate to the first one. Have an extended conversation with somebody uh, who you wouldn't normally have an extended conversation with. Go to a restaurant that doesn't look like a restaurant you would normally go to and is owned by somebody who doesn't look like you. Try it out with that person. And if you're going on Sunday today, that's cool. Just remember you're wearing your Sunday go to meetings. And Paul says in Ephesians 4.32 to be kind and compassionate to those around you and tip well. That's what he says. Now... He doesn't really say tip well, but I, that's my word. All I'm saying is take one step towards this.
it's easy enough to do. We can take one step towards being the fullness and God's saints in this place to make sure that we hear the fullness of the gospel among us because it's here. It's here, and that's good news, isn't it? Let's pray together. Father, we're blessed to be among your people. And I begin by, by simply saying, if there are those of us who are in the room who feel distant from you this morning or have never said yes to you, God, will you send your spirit right on those people? And if you're one of those people and you, you need to say yes to Jesus today, you just feel compelled, just ask God for forgiveness right now through Jesus Christ. And ask for new life, that you would be a follower of Christ, that he'd be the Lord and Savior of your life. And as we sit in this room, God, will you please pull us together as your people? It's exciting to come in week after week and experience the different things that are going on that you're doing in the lives of of this congregation. God, help us experience that to the fullest. Help us not uh, miss the voices out there who have come to know you and who can draw us to you in new ways and be bring us to the fullness of your good news. Help us hear the voices of those, our worldwide brothers and sisters, our sisters and brothers around the country who have a different experience in their cultural context, but who worship you, who believe that you are three in one, who believe that your good news, that your Bible is true and the only perfect rule for faith, doctrine, and conduct. Father, this morning, draw us together by the power of your Spirit. And as we go from this place, may we have the joy that only you bring. May we indeed talk to those within our congregation who maybe we haven't talked to in a long time. And enjoy the fellowship, the spirit of unity, and the bond of peace that only you bring. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Please help that goodness become a reality for us today. We pray this in your name. Amen.